Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from translational development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner. And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Emerging Biotech Leader. Today, we're happy to welcome Doug and Johan, who are going to be helping us really dig into the multidiscipline approach that organizations need to take in order to develop their corporate trajectory, their early clinical development plans, and figure out how to bring important assets to market. We're going to be thinking about the transformational stages that organizations go through at major inflection points of growth, both funding and clinical. And we're also going to be exploring the people and the resource sensitivities that come with those various stages of growth within a biotech organization. Thank you both for, for joining today's show. Thank you very much, Kim. Thanks for having us. Doug, maybe just to start us out on your end, would love for you to give us maybe a, a starting overview of the early stages of corporate build and where you see multiple functions and disciplines coming into play as leaders are thinking about um, designing where to start and where to build their business. Yeah, um, I've been in about 15 meetings in the, in, in the last three months where we're, our corporate sponsors, usually CEO, sometimes CMO, R&D, regulatory head, they're up against some major change in the company. I mean, we all know what's going on in the marketplace right now with the co cost of capital, interest rate, debtor and lender agreements are, are tough. Some, some movement there is precipitating like a fresh look at the timeline of the company relative to market facing goals and, and capital. You know, like, can we afford this program? Do we need to look at what we were going to deliver and are we going to change the timeline? Do we need to change the timeline because we don't have the bandwidth we thought we had? All of those issues are on the table. So a lot of different use cases of I have plenty of capital, but what we have is unworkable. I have limited capital and I have a goal that's too grand. You know, and so what do we do about that? This is the, the basis of the inflection point you're talking about as opposed to like the, the per, you know the perfect build from funding forward. I don't talk to anyone there ever. I talk to you, I've got problems and here they are. Um, there's three that I'm thinking about. And when we're done, we've identified nine. But um, yeah, the challenge is recalibrating the program or the company or the programs or the platform to the new reality, right? And they have to think through funding, team, people, uh, marketplace, their board, the investors they've been dealing with, and there's just a ton of stakeholders around them to navigate. So how do they navigate this? And then how do they deal with the real constraints that they have, which then comes down to the team that's on the table, the people they're working with day to day who may have been right for the former plan. They were perfect for the former plan. They're not perfect for the new plan. Literally, this is three of those conversations from the last two weeks. Um, so what do we do about that? And how do I make this change? And I, you know, some teams are stuck in paralysis mode there. Uh, some are looking for like some form of major intervention, maybe like a riff of total change of you know, go to market. Uh, and others are seeking counsel, like, how can I make this happen? So that that's what I'm hearing pretty much day to day um, in, in different states of affair. And maybe just to, Johan, would love for you to opine on this as well. One area that you just talked about, Doug, is this point of transformation within the organization. So there's the the concept that organizations in their earliest stages are trying to figure out where do I build my initial programs? 
what country am I going to for my phase two? Because that seems to give me the greatest path forward from a regulatory perspective. And I need to I need to figure out how am I going to get to market sooner than later somewhere. Um, what you're also describing, Doug, is a little bit of that fix scenario. So we were down one path. It's not working. We need to course correct and we need to be fungible with the resources and the team that we're applying to fix this situation and move into our, our new future state organization. But Johan, could you maybe give some thoughts, especially on that, that first build scenario where we're talking about where are we building this company and what are the different disciplines and, and kinds of thinking that we need to bring in, even just to make smart decisions up front and not just run down you know, the path that seems obvious. And for US biotechs, you know, commercializing in the US first seems obvious. Not always the right answer. So I would love to, love your thoughts on kind of the different disciplines and how we should be thinking about this. Yeah, th thank you, Kim, and, and thanks for uh, uh, the introductory thinking, Doug, about the environment that we're in, find ourselves in the midst of right now. I just came home from a, a conference on the completely other side of the pond in Copenhagen, uh, where I had the opportunity to, to speak with uh, a, a lot of uh, interesting people and participate in the, the public CEO forum there. And I mean, to your point, Doug, it's, it's so clear that the environment is having an impact on how we're planning and how we're thinking. But I do believe to, to uh, your, your point, Kim, that building a biotech, uh, getting a drug to market, is a change journey. The whole process is a change journey. And we passed through so many different stage gate, gates on the way where we need to adapt, almost regardless of circumstances around us, right? Even if everything goes according to plan, we have to shift, we have to adjust, and we have to make changes because the people in the lab codes are not the people that are going to run our trials. And the people who are running our trials are not the people who are going to sell our product, right? So there are these really important transformation points that every company that ultimately becomes successful just have to go through. Uh, and coming back to, to your thought about the, the disciplines that makes this possible, I mean, it, it starts it starts early on. And then finding the opportunity to identify those that are able to carry aspects, slivers of this the whole way through and then combining those capabilities through, throughout all of these different stages of, of uh, development. I think from, from, from my point of view and having had the, the uh, great, great uh, fortune and, and honor of working in the regulatory space for the last 20 years, this, this I think is uh, a very important uh, scaffolding, uh, I would say, to, to start forming the foundation for a meaningful plan and a meaningful organization going forward. Uh, and the way that I view uh, the, the regulatory piece as part of this puzzle is, is as that, that scaffolding, as that, let's call it the, the timeline. Because, I mean, let's, let's face it, when it comes to timelines, when it comes to planning, sure, we have the internal pressures, we've got the board, we've got our shareholders, uh, we have to feed the market on a regular basis with, with timely news and so on. But at the, the end of the line, it's going to be that regulatory approval that ultimately provides the culmination of, of all of these, these years of su success. 
followed then, obviously, by pay negotiations and, and all that good right. stuff. But, yeah. but on, on the way, uh, identifying those milestones, the regulatory pieces, gives us a framework to which we can fit all of the other aspects, all of the other necessary uh, disciplines in. And it just makes it so much easier to lay that puzzle and, and resource it uh, appro appropriately when you have an idea of where you're going and what the, the, the timeline is going to look like. If I could pick up on a piece what, what Johan just said, the sliver of work, the regulatory, I mean, that it reminds me of a conversation last week. Uh, it, it's a new CEO in an established company. So Kim, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a rebuild of sorts, right? Um, new CEO in a, in a, in a company that's, that's been around a bit um, and came from a company that was well-funded and much larger. So had a broader team, had a, had a viable clinical organization, had a strong regulatory partner uh, that, that reported uh, to him. But in this case, in the new company, it's not there. It's that trusted voice, that hallway you know, uh, walking down the hallway and getting a point of view, uh, or if not a more rigorous structured milestone type activity, it's not there. So, you know, what's the choice? You know, vendor, um, you know, hiring someone early. This, these are the dilemma, you know, after this, the milestone planning activity that we were both talking about earlier, all three of us, um, it's the team. And the next challenge the leadership structure faces is this build versus operate dilemma. And so that, that very CEO needs to say, all right, I don't want to hire this right now, but I need the counsel. Is, is it best to bring in an IC or a vendor for a spot, a stopgap or a partner that can carry that information across other departments and phases? Certainly, I, I, I believe the latter is, is better for the, you know, the organization, but they have to make that, that decision. And often they conflate the build and the operate skill set. And I'll just one second on this. I'm going to flip it back to Kim. Uh, I, I know you can add some color to this, but the build skill set is, okay, we've got this gap area and, and we've got only two people here and we don't have a clinician that knows the therapeutic area. What do we do about it? And what, how do I create a compensating structure versus the operate when that structure is there? Now we have to work on the, the deliverables and the milestones. Those are two discrete activities and often the CEO would say, oh, I'll hire someone that's got experience in the therapeutic area and they've been through a phase two to phase three progression, but they've never built the team. They never built the department. So they're actually not skilled for the task that, writes in front, that is right in front of them. They're ready for the four months from now. And that's what that CEO, whether he know, knew it or not, was implicitly thinking. The team's not ready for that FTE. Anyway, that's the dilemma. Build, operate. We're trying to get our, our, our partners to think of separating those activities and, uh, and and thinking about them differently. I think it's an important uh, point to call out and, and honestly a theme that's come up in many of our prior episodes here as well, where the new biotech leader comes from big pharma or a large to mid-sized organization, to your point, Doug, has been well-resourced in that organization and has taken on a massive role. So often we'll hear, we've just brought in this great person they led a 70-person ClinOps organization in their prior role, and they drove four programs in this other organization that probably had 100 people at all different levels of clinical development, whatever it might be. But they were never in the position, to your point, to build it from scratch and to operate in a biotech environment, which I think the, the best term I can ever use for it is scrappy, where you have to be incredibly 
uh, creative in how you're using your resources and your team around you, you need people who have that mindset of how do I get to the next outcome? How do I get to the milestones that the organization is driving toward and bring in the different disciplines and the skills that I'm going to need to get there? It is often not an FD or a full-time mindset of, of what you need to get from A to B, but you do need to bring in a lot of different diverse voices and experiences in order to get to that point. Yeah. And the build phase requires a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different uh, skill sets to get the infrastructure and that scaffolding, as Johan was describing, up and running. And once that scaffolding is there, those leaders are fantastic at operating. And there's nothing to be taken away from that role because that is absolutely critical to bring drugs to market. But if we're not setting up that scaffolding, we get back to Doug, the, the example you gave earlier, where we do wind up in a rebuild or a fixed situation because we can't go back. And so we also don't want you know, the builders doing the operations for too long because you're you're wasting what really could be an opportunity to build to your next asset or, or the next great thing. So we have to really get creative on how do we bring in these different disciplines in a really cohesive and synergistic way so that they're building on each other, not, you know, 10 of 10 different people working in their own silos and eventually they hopefully will meet. Yeah. But if we can do that in a really thoughtful and cohesive way, collectively, we can build a really thoughtful infrastructure and then put the people in place to run the operations long-term. Um, but yeah. we have to have the, the initial building blocks. If I could piggyback on where you are for one second, I, and I know Johanna probably has some thoughts about the same topic. I, I think we're, we're indexing against problem point three that we run into all the time. So they did conflate the build and operate phase and they've got an operate team in something that's not been built the right way. And the dilemma here is it's so difficult. And I'm talking now CMO, sometimes CEO, CMO, R&D head. It's so difficult for them to now say, I don't have what I need around me. I'm not sure I'm doing this the right way. I My team is wrong and I don't know. There's no good forum for like everybody wants to move forward. You know, boards and CEOs, they want things to be progressing. They don't want to hear about these you know, of course, they want to know their team is well situated, but they don't want complaining around them. They want effective scoping and, and challenge setting. But the, the operator in that situation, it, we find it's the pedigreed operator, the, the guy or gal who's been who's done this already, been down this painful path of being under resourced or not having the right team around them. And they've had the breakage from that. You know, the two I'm sure Johan knows of regulatory pathways gone awry you know, two years later, it's too late. You spent those two years of capital, right? You've, you've dealt with that team for two years. It was unideal, the wrong play, right? But the it's the seasoned operator. When I talk to a CMO who's done it five times, he or she, like Suku on a podcast, be self-aware, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, bring people, marshal people around you to do the things you're not good at. And if you don't do those things in a complex biotech company, you're going you're gonna to fail at least in a portion of your job. There's no disputing it. It's one of the functions is falling down, you know, the managing the team, the coming up with the clinical, the, the therapeutic direction, something's falling down, right? Anyway, but the, the ability for the individual inside the company to speak to it, it's just such a hard ask. And most companies, and probably our company too, doesn't do it well. Anyway. 
I, I completely agree with you, uh, Doug, and I think that, that one of the greatest signs of, of leadership courage is the courage to ask for help. I, I think that is so important when you find yourself in, in these quite precarious leadership positions in, in uh, biotech companies. Uh, and of course, uh, being in a position to be able to offer the right help, I mean, that's, that, that's a beautiful place to be in because you can really have a great impact on, on the outcomes that uh, our clients are, are uh, striving for. Uh, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking as well, right, that uh, when, when we consider these uh, uh, transformation points in time, there are so many advantages of, of working, thinking, thinking of working uh, with resources in a partnership, like what, what we're able to uh, uh, offer to, to uh, uh, the whole community, uh, to be honest. And, and when I think about those, those advantages, they, they come in different flavors. Uh, I, I like that you piggybacked on the, the scaffolding that I was talking about uh, previously, Kim. But if we look at it from a, a uh, again, a, a kind of a life cycle perspective and the stage of development of, of a biotech company, that the kind of support a partner is there to offer has to vary with the, the maturity of, of, of the company, right? The company develops and so must the partnership, so must we as, as, as a partner. And, and I think in the early stages of development, some of the things that, that we can offer now that that we've got this this wonderful plethora of of clinical development, clean ops, uh, uh, regulatory activities in early phases of development, is to well one help set up the right infrastructure to actually enable early stage success, right? And and that is that is a build that uh, is is going to be different from what you need to do when you approach your 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 commercial time point. Because then you're scaling uh, different resources in a different way, right? But in the early stages, I think putting the fundamental building blocks that enable you to enter the clinic, including your regulatory roadmap, including ideas around how you're going to approach those those first people who are going to to be doors, and eventually take your step uh, into into uh, dosing patients, making sure that. Your, your vendor management is working, that you got the right quality management practices, all of these kinds of, of, of good things do not require you to go and recruit a stable of people uh, doing this. You bring in the partner and the partner lets you get these assets, these resources in place. And the greatest benefit of that is, of course, once it's done, it's done, right? And you scale back, right? So it's a really fungible, it's a really dynamic uh, model that, that doesn't grow your, your uh, uh, headcount, that, that doesn't expose you to uh, longer term risk, and that allows you to, to bring those additional people on in a more thoughtful and, and, and careful and well-planned way. While when, when we move further into development, the challenge is going to be different. Still, that, that model of, of scaling up and down uh, remains a very, very strong uh, uh, point. But if we take then the, the other side of the spectrum, like we're going to go commercial, right? We need to ramp up on medical affairs. We, we need to uh, make sure that we've got all like the, the promotional aspects or the promotional reviews in place and what have you. And we're going to grow our organization by 
250 people. I had this this conversation just the other day with with uh, a board member during this this conference. Right in, in the next six to twelve months, we're going to rec recruit 250 people. And and I mean the the answer to the question is not necessarily recruit 250 people. It's to make sure that you have the resources that you need so that when you get to the point that you're going to recruit, that you're going to appoint FTEs, you really know what it is that you're going to pick. You really know what it is that you're going to put in there because once you've done it, you've done it, right? So, so th those are some of my my thoughts in line with uh, uh, what you guys said just now. I, I really appreciate that, Johan. And I think adding on that point about the various inflection points that organizations are working through and the resources they need, one thing I... I see a lot of our clients struggle with, especially the earlier biotechs is they're doing a lot of scenario planning, but they don't have a single path forward. They don't know that we are certainly going to fund our pivotal and actually become a commercial stage organization. They are keeping options on the table and they certainly should. Most of them are going to wind up in a due diligence process at some point and are likely going to get certain questions that they may or may not be in a position to really answer. And we're often meeting with executives that are asking the question, can I build this? I'm being asked these kinds of questions. How quickly could I be able to flex in here? What do I really need to build as a minimum viable to get to this next inflection point so I have the flexibility if I need to turn it on and move down the commercial stage? Or if I do get acquired and this other organization is going to absorb this function, how do I maintain maximum flexibility for the various scenarios that I could go down based off each one of these inflection points. And it's really critical to be thinking about how are we bringing in those dis different disciplines at each inflection point to maintain the flexibility as the organization is growing. What you just said is the future of, of you know what we're clearly building uh, here at SSI and DA. Um, clearly what we're building and where the market is going. So like the old way of looking at things in that situation you just described is to, I have capital, I'm going to hire a team, I'm going to keep my options open, I'm going to use some ICs around me, independent contractors or third parties to, to help me do this work. And what we're moving toward is more skill mobility and, and singular partners that provide that type of service so that you can have continuous handoffs between the phases, you know, maximize the optionality that you're talking about on the table, the due diligence process goes great or unfavorably, what do we do? Don't lose all that momentum. And, and the rigidity of an FTE only model is that it's with the fixed structure that we've talked about. And, and you, you might again in, encounter these build and operate issues as you move through the trials and tribulations you just described. So there's a flexibility rationale there's a, uh, a ROI rationale. There's even a cost savings rationale with the right, you know, design. Uh, it's the industry is partially aware of this. I, I think obviously it's not just us. There's other players, you know, poking at this type of thinking. Uh, and, and probably we we're, we just know we're going to be in the conversation and are and are thrilled to be there. But uh, that's the you know the future I I believe is going to be more skill mobility, making it available to these companies because of the the issues that Johan and Kim just talked about. So if, if I can add, if I can add just a, 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 another perspective to that, that I think is highly complementary. And obviously, I'm coming in from the, the regulatory angle, but I think it's equally uh, relevant for, for more or less uh, any discipline in this space. But like, like I said from, from, from the beginning, 
the the biotech journey is a journey of continual transformation and the challenges you're facing it's not going to be the same challenges that you face tomorrow as you faced yesterday because the program as it develops uh, is naturally going to mature and new requirements are going to come in all the time and we're aware of this yet we try to find some kind of of single plug solution and and I can exemplify this from, from the regulatory world where a very common solution to the regulatory challenge is, okay, we're going to recruit a regulatory person and that regulatory person is going to help us, okay? So then you pick someone and it might have been someone with, with uh, uh, experience from submitting an IND or, or they may even have, have done a, an NDA at the, the end of the line, right? But is this the person that will know all you need to know to you know, address the pediatric requirements in, in one of the, the largest jurisdictions? Is, is this the person that is going to find your orphan drug designation? Right? This, this is a discipline with such a tremendous spectrum of activities and sub-disciplines, if you will. So what is the benefit of trying to solve this like it's like you're 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 standing there with a hammer in your hand and you got a box full of screws. It's like this this doesn't work. You need to be more refined uh, than that. And that is is part of what what I believe that that we are clearly offering the market. I mean, if if you work with with SSI NDA and you got regulatory challenges, well, of course we will help you coordinate. Of course we will help you you manage uh, the range of activities. But it's not going to be the same person who helps you going through your 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 PSP or your your pediatric investigation plan in in, in Europe as uh, is is going to help you with your IND that's going to be different people with those different things as the specialities so instead of having someone who's filed a couple of INDs you will have someone who's filed 15 you will have someone who has done 30 pips in in their past right at your disposal doing that specific task and, and that is something that the, the partnering model gives that no IC in the world can plug or no individual full-time employee can, can ever offer to a, a emerging biotech company. I think that is, that, that is really, truly, genuinely, remarkably uh, valuable and, and potentially tra- transformational for a company because it means that the, the chances of succeeding and hitting these regulatory milestones is just going to go through the roof. Absolutely. I appreciate all of those predictions for the future of the industry, really thinking about the diversity of experiences, the various voices we need at each stage of building the organization, and thinking about how we're getting to the various inflection points of build and maintaining maximum flexibility for an organization to optimize the scenarios, improve the quality and the efficiency by which they're they're meeting their goals, and, and hopefully being bring life-saving drugs to market. So thank you both for the great conversation. I'm glad you were here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Johan. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at ssistrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.